0: morning great people god has something awesome for you today do you know that every time we gather his presence there's a corporate anointing that comes that sometimes you don't experience on your own with god and gathering on a sunday in worship in word in prophetic in anointed announcements god does something amen and our prayer we pray this regularly i pray every day actually for this church and its members and i pray that every single one of you are always going to go away having received something significant from god that you're going to go away more blessed knowing more. amen and so i'm trusting for that every single sunday father thank you for each one here lord i ask that you would open our eyes to see what you have for us beyond what we've experienced before beyond what we have In our own hearts decided how we would like to worship you that today I ask that the presence of the Holy Spirit would motivate us to see new things and to go higher and deeper amen now um, when we talk about worship I think that some of you come from many different churches in this church and I have spoken to many who have had very different experiences of worship And so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks, we've got a four-week series that I'm introducing today, and I'm going to be teaching today and next week so that I can get all my stuff in, Um, because worship is probably one of the most dear-to-my-heart topics, not just because it's a great topic, but because it's been my life. And I've been a worship leader most of my life, actually, in various churches, Uh, led worship when this church first started with 10 people meeting in chapel. And, and look at us now, 10 congregations across the city, churches all over in Southern Africa. And, and I want to just say to you, have an open mind, would you? Whatever your experience is, whatever you are used to, I don't want to talk about how we as a church worship. I want to talk about how the Bible says we should worship, what heaven worship looks like, and then we imitate that, right? And remember, we're building a church that is the church we want to become the church Jesus is coming back for. We don't want to look back and say, oh, well, that's how it's always been done. How about saying, what does the church look like that Jesus is coming back for? How does the church worship that Jesus is coming back for? And I think you'd agree that it should look a little different. And so open your minds. I'm trusting God that He's going to do something that is going to expand your mindset today. Amen? Amen. You know, one of the defining differences between man and every other created creature on the earth is that God created us to worship. And He created us primarily for worship. In fact, if you read Revelation and, and whatever is spoken of about heaven, heaven is going to be an atmosphere of constant worship. That doesn't mean we're all going to be sitting there playing harps. I mean, there is going to be awesome stuff going on in heaven. We are going to do amazing things. But worship is the atmosphere of heaven. And God created us initially to worship Him. And the truth is that if man doesn't worship God, he'll find something else to worship. Because you're a creature of worship. But you know, A.W. Tozer kind of, he said quite a bit on this, but one of his comments is if a culture does not know the true Jesus Christ, it will advance its own God and worship that. And we talk about this in Victory Weekend that, you know, there, there are many idols in our lives that we worship, either outside of or next to God. Many people take Jesus and say, well, I got saved, I prayed the prayer, and I just make him a part of my life. I just add him into my life. Lord Jesus, thank you. I'm driving my car nicely. Why don't you come sit in the passenger seat and just be a part of my life? But I worship the car I'm driving. I worship, you know, my finances. I worship uh, my wife, maybe, you know, um, God set me free from that. And whatever it is that you find you put before God is probably something that is an idol in your life. And it's only true worship when you let it go everything and surrender all to say, Jesus, you're the only thing for me. And of course, worship is broader than songs that we sing because the lifestyle of worship is one of saying, Jesus, you're Lord of everything. A true lifestyle of worship is saying, I choose to not let any other idol come before me, but I'm only going to serve the Lord my God. In fact, one of the Hebrew words uh, for worship, actually is a Greek word for worship, which literally means to serve God with a whole heart. And so, when we talk about worship, most of us think that it's this thirty-five minutes we have before church, or or times that you have with God on your own. But worship goes way beyond that. And uh, you know, it can be declarations you make to God. It can be in your prayer life. We spoke quite a lot about prayer, living a life that serves Him. And I've spoken a lot about thankfulness. Right? The thoroughly therapeutic thrill of thankfulness through thick and thin—that's worship. When you choose, when things are going wrong, to say, okay, that's wrong, God. I'm either going to grumble and complain about it, or I'm going to say, but all of this is right. Thank you, Jesus, for what you are doing. And that's worship. That's a lifestyle of worship. And the definition of worship, uh, one of the early, early English words that you wouldn't even know how to spell, literally means to ascribe honor, worth, or excellence to God or something or someone else. And so it's quite broad. There are many ways of doing that. But I want to focus today and next week on worship through music and song and using music to create an anointed atmosphere. One of the reasons I want to do that is because that's been my life. And I've seen God do some of the most incredible things through anointed worship. Um, some of you might not be really great singers. But you know the Bible says over and over through the Psalms, "Make a joyful noise unto the Lord." So there, there's there, some of you maybe you just listen and are blessed, and God is going to show you how worship can transform your life, whether you're a great singer or not. Amen. My ministry started really um, as a worship leader, and I've seen God do amazing things, and. I think that as I share today, you will realize that maybe we're only scratching the tip of the iceberg of what there is for us. I uh, started leading worship as a Methodist youth leader. I was raised in the Methodist church. Um, It wasn't a particularly exciting Methodist church, but growing up in this church, we were taught that. We were never spoken about the Holy Spirit other than that he's part of the Trinity. And the power of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit, those were just out the window. You know, there was just no such thing. And as a worship leader, I would lead songs. I led songs for the Sunday school. I led songs for the youth. And we sang songs. We sang great songs. Bind us together, Lord. How many of you remember that? Now that sets you back. Okay, so those oldies right here. And we sang songs like that and we held hands and we swayed, but there was not much anointing, not much happened. And the turning point in my life was when at the age of, I think, 16, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, my whole life changed. I started to see that God's actually quite fun. And I started to get revelation of God through my Bible reading, through my prayer. I started to feel an anointing like never before. When I worship, I got goosebumps. There were times I was worshiping Jesus and I I couldn't carry on playing my guitar because the anointing was so thick in the room. And I was like, God, we got to experience this publicly. And so I started to release some of that in the youth group. One of the nights that we were doing this, um, as we were leading the anointing and presence like I'd experienced in my room, came into that room with all of the youth into that hall. And we started to hear shouting. And I thought, "Who shouts in a Methodist church didn't you see the stilter sign outside but shouted, and people in the youth group were getting spontaneously delivered of demonic spirits of suicide and depression and other things that had been plaguing them for their li- from their lives. We had one girl who was wanting to commit suicide that night, and she was the one that started screaming as that demon of suicide came out of her and There is a place for casting demons out. But what I found is that when the presence of God comes, sometimes the presence of God turning the light on just makes the darkness flee. That doesn't mean we don't cast demons out. On Victory Weekend, we do. (laughs) Uh, I love, you know, when, when, when we see the authority we have that people are just walking free from the demonic in every area of their lives. Amen. We don't need to fear demonic in any way. But when the light comes on, the enemy flees. And so we started to see this. And then one night, we were leading worship, and suddenly, all of these Methodist young people started laughing uncontrollably. All of us together. So it wasn't just one person laughing. And you know, when one person goes, <laughs> then everyone catches it. You know, because like he's laughed. That's funny. I got to laugh at that. We all just started. And I was like, I can't lead worship. I'm laughing. I laughed so much my stomach hurt. And I was, I was on the floor, and I couldn't get up. And I, the only thing I could do was roll over. So I kind of rolled over to see what was going on, and all of us were on the floor. And they were like not getting up, laughing spontaneously. I thought, what is going on here? No one had taught me this. I'd never seen it before. I'd never seen it practiced. I'd probably been told it was of the devil. And I, but we knew it came from the anointing of worship. This was an entire decade before the renewal broke out. Remember Toronto and the renewal? Itself, where There was spontaneous laughter in worship across the entire world. And I remember services that we had. Some of you have been a part of every nation for a long time. Where I would stand up to preach or Bill would stand up or during worship. The whole church, we couldn't preach because people couldn't stop laughing. And there was just an outpouring of joy. One, one of those services, I stood up to preach and my mouth just went closed. I couldn't speak. And I was just, hmm. <laughs> hmm. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't move, and my head got stuck to the pulpit. <laughs> I was stuck like that for 20 minutes, and the whole congregation, the power and presence of God fell. People just got instantly healed, deliverances, just incredible things. Sometimes we think too much of my sermon. God, I've got a good sermon. I worked hard on this. And he said, step aside, Andrew. Let me show you what I can do when my anointing is here. When... uh One night, I had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and, you know, the Methodist church was very against that, so I hadn't spoken much about it. But one night, I was playing a file like the Holy Spirit said, everyone in this room who wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just ask Him right now. And spontaneously, the Spirit fell. Spontaneously, the Spirit baptized them. All of them spontaneously just started speaking and singing in tongues. Most of them had no idea what tongues was. Do you think there's more than what we're experiencing? And from that day, I said to God, my goal is never to just lead songs again. Or any team that I train or am a part of or any church that we build, we want teams that say we want to bring the presence of God. We don't just want to sing songs. Amen. And you guys do an amazing job of that. Can we give our worship team just a hand, man? You guys really do. And you know, when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I I would have these dreams of Jesus. And like so bright, like the sun, I started to see Jesus for who he really was. And something that I learned is that how you see Jesus will determine how you worship. And you, you worship Jesus based on your revelation of who he is, of who Father is. And I want to say that how you see Jesus is critical. John, the apostle, the Bible talks about him as the one who is most intimate with Jesus. He was, in fact, the only one so close to Jesus that he was prepared to go with Jesus to the cross, knowing that he could be killed as well. Every one of the other disciples, where did they go? In the wind. Peter followed from a long-distance lake. Aren't you one of his disciples? No, no, I do not know the man. Three times, rooster crows, he's out. John is there the whole time. Because John was the only one prepared to die. He was the only apostle never martyred. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs and the historians of the time. And so he was exiled to the island of Patmos where God visits him and gives him this revelation of heaven. And Jesus, he had known him all his life. He was more intimate with Jesus than any other apostle. But when he saw the risen Jesus, the resurrected Christ in all his glory, he fell on his face, terrified in absolute awe of his glory. I believe that when we truly see the real Jesus, we're going to have a response that is way beyond the Sunday school Jesus. Now, not our Sunday school. Our children's church, they get to know the real Jesus. I didn't know the real Jesus, but when I saw Him in all His glory, I've had times where I've just like, whoa, whoa, God have mercy on me. And when His presence comes in, He starts to show us who He is. In fact, in that revelation... John describes throughout it what the atmosphere of heaven is. I've just chosen one piece, Revelation 7, as an example, and he says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages sound like us. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Do you know that that's us right now? You don't have to wait to get to heaven for this. We are clothed in white robes, it's His blood that washed us with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I know at least five songs that have been written on this particular piece. Graham Cook says this the atmosphere of heaven is an atmosphere of worship so when we truly worship we create the atmosphere to bring heaven to earth true spiritual worship brings God's presence to deliver from evil just like David playing the harp for Saul Saul could not get free of that demonic spirit that plagued him but every time David played on his instrument the demon left it creates atmospheres those atmospheres impact the hearts of the people who come into their presence I've had people say to me after (laughs) one of our more vigorous worship sessions, and we did quite a bit of singing in tongues, uh, and and they said to me they've never experienced that before, and it was really strange. And they were almost started to be a little scared, but then the atmosphere that came in as a result totally transformed their hearts. And they realized the atmosphere must be God. And they'd never experienced that kind of expression, but they'd also never experienced that kind of atmosphere. I want to say this to you. This church is going to create atmospheres. God has spoken to us that there's, this is going to be a well that people are going to want to come and drink from because of the atmosphere that's going to rest. Yeah. In our other churches that we've planted, I would often just play worship music 24-7. In Rosebank, we set up a room. We just play worship 24-7. That's why I can't wait to get our own property. Yeah. But one of the things that God has shown me, and He showed me in Namibia through the worship experiences we had there, is to establish a 24 7 place where people can just come and be exposed to the atmosphere of worship prayer ministry and it doesn't mean we all have to sing what when we were running this in namibia people would come with their blankets and their pillows and they would just lie in the presence and god would set them free just by the healing presence that comes through the anointing you know i Got, we don't have to see tangible things, but I've seen many tangible things. We went through a season where gold dust covered people in worship. I've had times where I was leading worship and someone was pointing to me, pointing, and I'm like, What are you? They said, You're covered in gold dust. I can't do that. There's nothing special about me. But there, some of you might remember the season of gold dust and gold teeth appearing where people had no teeth. We even showed a photo of one of them on one of our ministry teams in Newcastle. Carol and I attended. We had some wealthy people in the church, and they said, We want more of this, so we're going to send you to every worship conference. They sent me all over the world to worship conferences all over. One of the best ones I went to was Heart of David conferences. And you guys <laughs> have been exposed to some of that. We're in the Heart of David conference. And, and in that team made up of all these people, they had just been weeks just playing together, praying together. The anointing that came in. So Carol and I are standing there and suddenly we smell the smell of like sweet roses. And we go, who's been spraying perfume? And Bob Jones stands up and he says, all of you are now smelling the sweet perfume of Jesus as his presence increases in this place. We're like, Cool. And then we, you know, the next time there's a strong wind blowing and we say, can they please turn the aircon off? Rick Joyner stands up and says, by the way, that's not the aircon you're feeling. That is the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through this place. There was one of the conferences they had where the cloud filled the stage area, the cloud of God. And some had never seen it. In fact, the drummer said he dived under the drums and some of them thought there was a fire. But the people on the stage were all like completely stuck to the ground, couldn't move. And a couple of them managed to roll over to a mic and just started singing Spontaneous Worship. I have a recording of that. Yeah, if any of you want to hear it. Dan McCullum says this, and I love Dan McCullum. In fact, we're trying to get Dan o to come out to minister to our church next year. But Dano He took over Graham Cook's church and is just a worshiper, but a leader who understands how to lead and bring the presence. And he says this, corporate, he's talking about when we gather together as a church. Corporate praise and worship is not just about us worshiping God and entering His presence. There is prophetic power in worship to create atmospheres that have an incredible spiritual impact on the environment around us. True worship brings heaven to earth and causes a displacement of spiritual forces in that place. This is the most powerful form of spiritual warfare, bringing the atmosphere, authority, and glory of heaven in such a way that darkness has to flee. And David was really the first person that caught this in biblical history. Uh, he, He was first and foremost a worshiper. The Bible says that God said of David, that's exactly what he looked like, by the way. That is taken from a painting that Samuel made, found in the archives. (laughs) I know he doesn't look that happy in that picture, but (laughs) maybe it's because he's holding a liar. Okay, some of you got that. So David did something amazing. David became the greatest king Israel had ever known. But you know why God chose him? Because while he was looking after sheep, he would just sit and worship. And in worship, he discovered who God truly was. He was first and foremost a worshiper. He designed numerous instruments that had never been designed before. And when he finally became king, he said, I am going to make this a nation of worship. Not just a nation who follows rules and regulations, not just a nation that quotes the Torah, but a nation of worship who knows who God really is because that's what he'd experienced. And so David, the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen and David says, I'm going to bring that back. And he goes and he brings back the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark was meant to go where? In the tabernacle. The the temple hadn't been built yet, so it would have ended up in the temple. There was a tabernacle in Shiloh. He did not take the ark to the tabernacle. He did something that anyone else would have been killed for. He took the ark and he put it on Mount Zion, which was referred to in Hebrews as the mountain of the Lord, representing the kingdom of heaven and the church of Jesus Christ. And on Mount Zion, he places it there. And I want to show you what he did. David Fisher says this, Davidic worship is very much New Testament. When we study the Psalms, when we study the Psalms, I'll just finish it here. But when we study the Psalms, we find that David was actually a thousand years ahead of his time. He was a millennium ahead of where the new covenant would take us in worship. So he takes the Ark of the Covenant. The high priest would be killed if he went in there at the wrong time. And there was this turning point when David started to train them in worship. And instead of going to the tabernacle in Shiloh, he takes the Ark and puts it in what the word literally means, a cloth hut on Mount Zion. And Dr. Ray Hughes talks about what he did. And when we see what David did, I'm going to just share it with you quickly. But we must understand that Amos prophesied the rebuilding of David's tent. Some people, when I grew up, people were saying the temple will be rebuilt. It never says that. It says the tent of David will be rebuilt. He prophesies in Amos, and Amos was one of the last prophets. You could just read it there, but it's repeated in Acts. And in Acts, it's repeated saying, again, as Amos prophesied, after this, I will return. I will rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I'll rebuild. I'll restore it. The remnant of men may seek the Lord. Even the Gentiles may seek the Lord in David's fallen tent that I reestablish. So what was David's tent? Would you like to know? What did David do? Well... The first thing, Dr. Ray Hughes did his PhD on this. I love Ray Hughes. I've been to a few conferences of his. He got 4,000 Levites, and there were 38,000. They cost lots so that God would choose them, not man. Every one of them had to be incredible musicians. And of these 4,000, each had to be older than 30, and they had to have completed seven years in the school of the prophets under Samuel. <laughs> and um, we're not going to require this of you. We might not have anyone up here. They also had to memorize the entire scripture, word perfect, so that when they sang, they didn't sing their experiences, they didn't sing their wrong thinking, they sang scripture. You know, the anointing is a result of what we have in us. Some people, they think the anointing is just on us. Well, if you're a spectator, you can feel the anointing on you. But when you are walking in Jesus and full of His Word and full of His Spirit, then the anointing that we see corporately increases as each person is walking that life. And as each person is living that life of worship, on a Sunday morning or any corporate gathering or on the 21st, when we have our God worship evening, our encounter evening, you will find there's an anointing that will do amazing things because of the hearts of the people that are worshiping. And then... Another thing he did, he took them and divided them into 24 teams. And these 24 teams, all they did was lead worship for one hour a day. And they would spend the rest of their day practicing for the next day's one hour. Worship team? <laughs> Who would like to sign up for the worship team? And, <laughs> you know, this, didn't, this wasn't just like for a few months. It lasted for at least 33 years. We know for a fact it was a minimum of 33 years. Some people say possibly 40. Woo! I'd like our 24-7 place of prayer and worship to last for 100 years or until Jesus comes back. Anyone, including Gentiles, had direct access to the most holy ark which carried the presence of God. They were face to face with God. There was no veil of separation. There was no judgment of death. Anyone who wished had direct access through worship. There was no sacrifice of animals, only sacrifices of praise and worship. David violated everything that was said about Old Testament worship to show them what New Testament worship looked like under the Old Testament. And then, every known instrument and every Hebrew word for praise and worship was used in every way every day. I'm going to quickly just look at some of these words because I think it will help you. Some people feel that... um, only charismatics do certain things. I want you to know we want to do what's biblical, but there's no pressure. Our churches, anyone can worship however you led, as long as you worship God. If that's sitting down, if that's kneeling down, if that's sitting with your arms crossed, as long as you're meeting God. But here's some of the words. And the most common one I think that all of us know is, say it with me. Hallelujah. Yes, this is a common word, right? Do you know what hallelujah means? It means to sing halals to Yahweh. What does halal mean? Shine, make a boast, make a show, rave, celebrate, give glory, get vigorously excited in rejoicing, and be clamorously foolish. Whoa. So next time you say hallelujah, no, you don't have to act like that, especially not at work. But I'm just saying. It is a representation of how David worshipped the Lord while he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. And his wife said, you made a fool of yourself. And he said to her, I will be even more undignified than this before God. Yeah. And God shut his wife's womb so she could never have children because she criticized the way he worshipped. So let me say this. Even if you don't want to worship like this, don't criticize people who do. The word Shabbat, address loudly in triumph and shout. People say, why do you clap for God so much? Because throughout the Psalms, it tells us to clap. The ESV, which is one of the most accurate versions of the Bible, says, Psalm 47:1, Clap your hands, all peoples. Doesn't say just the charismaniacs or the Pentecostals. <laughs> clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with loud shouts of joy, like Joshua and Jericho. Then there are three words that literally mean very much the same. Yada, to extend and throw out the hands in reverence and worship like you would throw a spear. So in the Methodist church when it came to raising hands it was more like. And when God showed me this, and these are just the most common, There are a lot more words. It's like, whoa, how do you throw a spear? You throw a spear straight out there, just don't hurt the person next to you. You can worship any way you like as long as you don't hurt the person next to you or distract them. Toda, extend the hands in adoration and thanksgiving. Toga, extend the hands in thanksgiving. So raising hands in church is not a charismatic thing; it is a biblical God thing, right? And then the words for worship: Barak to kneel down, blessing, adoration, be still, and thank. Shaka. To bow down in reverence, be prostrate, beseech humbly. And then the most common word used throughout Scripture for worship is proskinu. That I clicked too quickly there. We'll get there. It is the Greek word proskinu. And the Greek word proskinu is about to arrive. There we go. It means to kiss towards. To fall, this is the word used the most throughout scripture, to fall on the knees, touching the forehead on the ground is an expression of profound reverence. But you know what I like about this word is where it came from. It came from the word that they used when a dog licked its master's hand. I love dogs. My dogs proskine you really well. Those of you who have been to my house, they proskine you all the time. Much to Wesley's disgust, he's like, stop in me. He says, stop licking. And then there are two that David introduced that bring an anointing more than anything else. In Psalm 22:3, you all know this verse: "You are wholly enthroned in; you inhabit the praises of Israel." How many of you know that verse? God inhabits certain praises more than others, and that word for praises is the word tequila. Uh, uh, tequila. <laughs> I know what you were thinking, right? It's like Jesus. No in their thoughts, he said. <laughs> I'm not like, I don't know all your thoughts, seriously. I <laughs> but even if I did, no judgment. <laughs> what does Tehillah mean? Tehillah is an interesting word. It means to sing halals in the spirit. It is a new song. It literally means spontaneous, unrehearsed, intense, anointed, with a whole heart, There's a group called Tehillah Ministries, and they they go into this in a whole lot more. But it it means not coming from a known song, but singing from my heart, a song I don't know. Have you noticed that when I take the mic or the band starts to sing, that we start in? And we just start singing words that aren't up there. Have you noticed we do that quite regularly? And have you noticed that there's an anointing that comes when you started to heal when you started singing the Spirit, when you started singing in tongues? And if you can't sing in tongues, we'll pray for you and get you baptized. And the Holy Spirit get you singing in tongues. Paul said, I will speak with a language my mind understands, but I will also speak in tongues. He said, I will sing with the language my mind understands, but I will also sing in tongues. So singing in tongues is just amazing. We used to have amazing times of singing in tongues where God would just arrive. Singing in the Spirit. And you can just sing anything in that time. I have a video that I wanted to play for you that captures this. They incorporate what is called Zama, which is to bring the anointing by touching the strings. It also has the understanding of spontaneous, unrehearsed. So I'm going to close with this but this is a video taken from the Heart of David conference where the cloud appeared. It doesn't capture the cloud on this. But I, I have been in some of these where the anointing was so strong. And in worship, it's not just about giving. It's also about receiving. So I want you to just receive and feel the atmosphere that comes when you sit in a place where you just have spontaneous worship. And uh, you guys ready with the sound there? Oh, each of days, call them in, Lord. Call them in, my God. From the north, from the south, from the east, from the west. How long to be? How long to be? So we Jesus, do come and fill us again. You feel that anointing? Holy Spirit, we are asking that you would take us into the fullness of what you have for us as a church. That when we worship, your presence will increase because we are becoming more and more worshipers who know who you are. Lord, we bless the worship in this church and out of it. Lord, as people play it in their cars or play it in their homes, that there would be such an anointing. Make us people of the presence, Lord. Cause us to people who live a life of thankfulness, of worship in every place that we can. And so, Lord, I bless this church and I ask. Open our eyes to see you, who you are more and more. That our natural response our created response is to worship the revelation of who you really are there's power in this stuff amen so i'm going to encourage you you can look back up at me but will you come next week trusting god that god i'm going to go deeper and higher than ever before and entr- trusting for an increased atmosphere of his anointing and presence amen lord we send every person out in your presence right now let us take that presence and spill it wherever we go maybe you're here today and you don't know that jesus you've never given your life to him but you know you need to i'm gonna ask you not to leave today